Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So many years ago, I read a book uh, that probably a lot of you are familiar with called The Pilgrim's Progress, right? It's, um, it's a, a Christian classic. It's a, a fictional book, if you haven't read it, about a, a man named Christian who is traveling on a journey toward a place called the Celestial City. And Christian is a walking, talking example of, you guessed it, a Christian. Uh, and he is walking through life, seeking to persevere in his faith until he reaches his heavenly home. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian meets a number of individuals, a number of characters along the way that either help or hurt him on his journey. There are uh, characters who are morally excellent people who trust in Jesus and encourage Christian to continue on his journey toward heaven. And then there are, are morally bad people that he comes in contact with that either tempt him or persuade him to fall into sin that they offer up to him and so damage his uh, journey to the to this celestial city. And it's a really great book because each character that is used by the author here is meant to teach us something about what it means and what it looks like to live the Christian life well. Uh, he uses these people as, as either examples for how we should live as Christians or how we should not live as Christians. And at one point in the story, Christian is walking with a, another faithful believer whose name is Faithful, and it's a really easy book in that way. So as Christian and Faithful are walking, there's another character who they come into contact with, and this character's name is Talkative. Can you guess what he is known for, right? He talks. He talks and he talks and he talks. Uh, and he especially likes talking about like spiritual matters. He loves talking about the Bible. He loves talking about God. He loves talking about theology. If there is any type of conversation that's centered around like the deep things of God, talkative is in that conversation, listening and contributing to it. He's, he's like the, the snobby professor who loves to hear him spell, him, himself speak all the time and insert himself into these conversations or maybe more relatably, He's like the internet troll who inserts him or herself into conversations and debates online and lets everyone know their opinion about these things. Like, that's, that's talkative. So, faithful and talkative spark up this conversation about the nature of faith and about God's grace towards sinners, and it seems like an awesome conversation. And faithful leans over to Christian, and he says, hey, like, this guy is going to make an awesome companion on our journey toward heaven. And Christian responds to faithful, and he says, I know this man. He's happy with any company, and he's for any conversation, but religion has no place in his heart or his house or his lifestyle. Everything he has lies in his tongue, and making a noise with it is his religion. And Faithful says back, you don't say. I have been greatly deceived by this man. And Christian replies, he says, this is an important quote in this book. He says, he talks, talkative does, about prayer. He talks about repentance and faith, but he only knows how to talk about them. I've been with his family and have observed him both at home and away, and I know what I say about him is the truth. This is a funny analogy. He says, his house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of, of flavor. 
There's neither prayer nor a sign of repentance for sin there. An animal in his way serves God far better than he. Ouch, right? One can hardly hear a good word about him in the whole end of town where he lives. The common people who know him say that he's a saint abroad, but he's a devil at home. Talkative isn't aware that talking and doing are two different things. He thinks that hearing and saying will make him a good Christian, and so he deceives his own soul. So this interaction between Christian, faithful, and talkative has stuck with me, and I can't help but think that this is a really helpful way to to introduce what James is going to be saying to us this morning in James chapter 1. Just as this character in the Pilgrim's Progress, talkative, was deceived by his own words into thinking that he was a spiritual man, simply because he talked the talk, I fear that Christians today can equate being a devoted disciple of Jesus as simply listening to God's word without ever allowing it to change how they live and their daily life, how they embody themselves in this world. We may hear the talk, right? We may hear the word spoken. We may even talk the talk, but James is going to challenge us today to walk the walk, or to walk the talk. The danger of being a follower of Jesus is not actually following him in the good work that he calls us to, and and that is what James says is deception. But the joy of doing what the gospel lays out for us is true flourishing in this life and in the next. So I like to have main ideas for sermons and for passages. So the main idea for this morning that we'll hopefully come away with is this. That we are to avoid deceit and to find flourishing through doing two things. Through hearing and doing God's word. So avoid deceit and find flourishing through hearing and doing God's word. I think you have maybe a handout that you can fill this in. Thanks to Bree. I sent that at like 11 o'clock last night. So that's great. So I'm going to read James chapter 1. And I'm going to start just in verse 21, and then we'll read the next four verses after that, okay? So James chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It's kind of in the middle of a paragraph, probably in your Bible. It says this. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, In this whole passage in general, in 21 to 25, James is going to give two basic instructions, okay? And that is to hear the word and to do the word. And we're going to look at this first instruction here in verse 21, where James says that we are to hear the word. We are to hear the word or we are to receive the word. So James uses this word at the very beginning of verse 21. So if you look there, you'll see he starts with this word, therefore, at the beginning of this verse, to hopefully point us back to what he has just talked about in verses 19 and 20. So he's making a connection to what was just said in order that he can kind of like lay a basis for what he's about to say now in verse 21. So in verse 19, uh, Pastor Greg preached on this last week, James says that we are to be people who are quick to hear, who are slow to speak, and who are slow to anger. And that command was in the context of like other people, right? So uh, be, you know, quick to 
listen to a friend, be slow to speak with your spouse, be slow to anger with your children, so on and so forth. So the focus there was on interpersonal relationships with other people. Now, James starts our passage this morning kind of like this. It's almost like he's saying, hey, speaking of being people who need to stop being angry and start listening to others, you should also be the kind of people who stop all types of sinful behavior and instead start actually listening to the word. Start listening to the word. James is essentially saying, since anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, that's what he says in verse 20, put off all filthiness and all rampant wickedness in order to live righteously. I like how the, uh, the King James uh, version of the Bible says this part of verse 21. It says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I'm not sure what that adds to our understanding, but it's fun to say, so I just wanted to say it. But I think it, it, it underscores what James is trying to get at here, that to be in a position to truly hear the word of God, our hearts need to be prepared to receive it with meekness. Our hearts need to be prepared to receive it with meekness. And part of that preparation includes an examination of our own hearts and our own pride so that we can be aware of how our pride is going to maybe close our ears to the gospel. And since we are people who continually, newsflash, struggle with sin and with pride, we need to be people who continue to listen to the word. And he says at the end of verse 21, listen to the word, which means that the gospel of Jesus because it is able to save our souls continually. Now, don't hear that as me saying that we need to keep working in order to achieve our salvation and forgiveness of sins, but I am saying that oftentimes, when we think of the gospel, we might just think of like this one-time activity where we confess uh, belief in Christ, we are saved, and then we just kind of continue on with our life, and the gospel takes a back seat. But that is not how James or spoiler alert, Jesus, views the relationship between the Christian and the gospel. Once we have received this gospel by faith, so you'll see in verse 21, James kind of compares it to like a seed being implanted into our hearts. Once we have received this gospel by faith, we are in a sense to continue receiving it, to continue being transformed by it and molded by it and shaped by it, and in a sense, continue being saved by this gospel. Because the gospel, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the place of sinners, separated from a loving father, is not just an invitation to believe in it, but it's also an invitation to accept and to like commit to the obedience that it demands for our good and for God's glory. Now, obviously, where, where we typically find this gospel message today is going to be in the Bible. And the means by which we typically hear the Bible is through preaching on a Sunday morning. Perhaps you listen to podcasts or whatever it is, or personal Bible reading. That's not listening with our ears, but reading with our eyes. But that's the idea, is that we listen to the Bible in a number of different contexts. And James says that one of the key characteristics for however we intake the Bible is to receive it and to listen to it with meekness. So for all of us who listen to God's word, we should be able to be defined as meek, meek, which maybe some of you don't want to be defined as meek, but don't think of being meek as being a person who's like a wimp or a pushover 
or a softy who just unwillingly takes what's given to them. But to be meek really means to be strong, but to constrain your strength for the good of others and for yourself. Right? To be meek means to be strong, but to constrain your strength for the good of others and for yourself. So if we think about this in the context of James, to be meek is to receive the message of the gospel with a humble spirit that says, I recognize that my sin and pride may get in the way of my truly understanding the gospel for me today. So I'm going to lay aside those things. I'm not going to be distracted by them. And I'm going to hear what God has to say to me without my own preferences or biases getting in the way. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do just in everyday life. We all know that it's difficult to receive the words of others without being distracted or being persuaded by our own thoughts and opinions, right? It's like the teenager who is just enraptured by a video game that they are playing. So for me, it was Call of Duty, uh, or it was also Rock Band. And uh, this teenager's playing, and mom walks in the room, and mom says, turn the game off, it's time to go. And the teenager says, yep, mom, I hear you. And uh, the video game and their own joy of playing this game has distracted and dissuaded that teenager from actually listening to what their mom has asked them to do. So, so they don't follow through on it. They really did not listen because they were distracted and dissuaded by something else. Or many of you uh, perhaps have had this example happen to them. You're in a conversation with someone and those people say to you, you know, there is just no way at all that the Browns will win the Super Bowl this year. Now, common sense and experience would agree, so you respond, yeah, I, I hear you. But then you start thinking, we had a really good offseason this year. I mean, we've got some new coaching hires, there's some movement on other teams. We may have a chance to win to their vision, right? So all of this persuasion that's going on in your mind makes you actually not listen to your friend's true statement about what they just said about the Super Bowl. You don't really listen to them because you're persuaded by your own thoughts and opinions. But maybe more seriously, we probably also know how difficult it is to receive commands and truth when it comes from the Lord. So for instance, Jesus says to you in John 10, I have come so that you may have abundant life. And you respond, yeah, I hear you, Jesus. It's, it's great. But then when you think about the relationships maybe that you have lost, either anywhere from death to betrayal, you begin to wonder if this promise is really for you. When you have a child who needs constant care, supervision, or discipline, and you are at the end of your rope, you begin to ask, how can Jesus give me abundant life when this is my reality? We are all in the danger of burdens like this allowing us to make the promises of Jesus fall on deaf ears. Or the same can be true for commands that we read in Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, do not be anxious about your life because your heavenly Father cares for you. He knows you. And you might respond, yeah, I, I hear you, Jesus. But then a flood of thoughts into your mind. How am I going to pay for a house or provide for my family if I don't get this job, this raise, or this promotion? How am, I, how am I gonna restore this relationship with my child? How am I going to uh, start 
a, a dating relationship or get married if I can't even, like, if, I, if I'm always messing stuff up right now. And, and the pressures of life become for us a list of uncontrollable worries that bring us to a point where we listen to that command to not be anxious and we, we can't hear it. We don't listen to it. We don't hear or heed the words of the gospel. And our sin makes our hearts cold and calloused even to the words of Christ. But this verse in James chapter 1 speaks to those who have or might be tempted to cover their ears to God's word. James says instead, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, to receive the word. That when the opportunity is presented to you to listen to God, as was mentioned in the prayer, whether in prayer, in church, in a conversation, in your personal Bible reading, your personal quiet time, you should do so with careful attention to what the Lord is truly saying. So one thing that I do, for instance, uh, oftentimes before reading the Bible, is, is I pray. I ask God to incline my heart to his testimonies because I don't naturally do that. I ask him to open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of his word because my eyes on their own are, just, are, are unnaturally able to comprehend what the Lord says. I ask God to unite my heart to fear his name because I'm often distracted. I ask him to satisfy me in the morning with his steadfast love because I need satisfaction and nourishment from his word. And I often will confess my prayers to God. And it's not that I or any of us need to clean ourselves up before going to the Lord, but by acknowledging our sin to God, we are making ourselves aware of how we may or may not want to be listening to him. So if you're struggling, for instance, with lust or adultery, you're going to be quick to tune out God's command to be pure of heart. If you love money and possessions and promotions, you won't take seriously Jesus' demand to not lay up treasures for yourself on this earth. And this means that when we rightly hear from God, we will actually then find power from the Spirit to do the will of God in our life, and not by our own strength, but by the strength that God supplies through his Spirit in his word. And in this strength then, James goes on to say that we actually need to do something as a result of this listening. Like we actually need to do something as a result of our hearing his word. We need to hear the talk that's given to us, and then we need to walk the walk. So now James goes on to his second instruction, and it's simply this, to do the word. Do the word. So verses 22 to 25 say this. James continues, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James says we are to do the word. So we've talked about the need to hear God's word, and now we see that to truly hear the gospel message means more than just listening with our ears. James says that it actually demands that we do something. And the reason we are to be these types of hearers is because James does not want us to be deceived, right? Like the character from The Pilgrim's Progress, Talkative, who is deceived by his own words into thinking that he was a genuine follower of the Lord simply because he spoke about spiritual things. Having a life of genuine discipleship 
does not just come about by listening to a pastor preach or listening to words spoken in a podcast or in your own Bible reading. It's entirely possible, right? It's entirely possible to sit in church on a Sunday morning to listen to Pastor Greg preaching and to nod in agreement and say, yes, amen, brother, preach. Yes, amen. And then to leave this place totally unchanged from Sunday lunch till Sunday breakfast the next week. It's totally possible. And God's word says there's, there's simply no category for a Christian who has heard and responded to the gospel of salvation and changed nothing about their life. No repentance from sin, no change in character, no remorse over their sin, no reformation of thought or speech, no discernible difference whatsoever. And in fact, the only category that the Bible gives for this is called deception. Deception. James says in verse 22 that we are lying to ourselves about the transformative reality of the gospel if we do not do what it asks of us. So I know for me, when I evaluate my own righteous living and my obedience to God, I, I can easily equate attending church and reading my Bible as the prime standard for my commitment to Christ. But if throughout the week I'm an entitled uh, husband and father, I'm an untrustworthy friend, I'm a lazy worker, I'm a gossiper, I'm a complainer, and I'm actually proving to myself and to those around me that God's word has not found its home in my heart. But it's gotten stuck somewhere like in the ear canal, right? It'd be like me getting a check in the mail for a million dollars, taping it on the fridge, and telling myself, I'm rich! I did it! but never actually cashing the check, right? Like if I lived like that, that would be horrific. <laughs> so when we hear God tell us that we have all of these riches in Christ, but we sell ourselves out for immorality while telling ourselves that we're rich in Christ, like we do the same thing. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we are rich when in fact we are in poverty. And this is like, I know this feels like really serious, and it's because it is. <laughs> like this is really serious. Do not be deceived into thinking you are living the Christian life when you're merely listening to a message of what the Christian life should look like. So James continues in verses 23 to 25 to give like two examples, two examples of uh, what it looks like to hear God's word. And the characteristic of the first hearer is forgetfulness and the characteristic of the second hearer is action. So James says that the first type of hearer, the one who does not do the, what the word uh, tells her to do is like a person who looks at herself in a mirror and then walks away, immediately forgetting what they look like. So I was just on a canoe camping trip a couple weeks ago, and I realized on the fourth day that I had not seen myself in a mirror for four days. It's like a really bizarre feeling once you like actually like cognitively recognize you hadn't seen yourself. So we got off the river, and I was, like, looking for something to look at myself. And I, yeah, there's a vehicle with a window. And I get up to it, and I'm like, I finally see myself. And I'm like, oh, my word. My unibrow is out of control. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> right? Uh, so hearing God's word, having it speak to our hearts can be compared, uh, like, looking into a mirror. We might see things that need attention. Right? We notice that our hair needs brushed, that there's marinara sauce in the corners of our lips, like that's horrible, or that our unibrows need plucked. From God's word, we hear, we hear different things. We hear that we need to love our enemies, 
that we need not to exasperate our children with heavy burdens, that we need to speak honestly with others in our workplace and in our homes. But this first type of listener that James talks about here walks away from the mirror and immediately forgets what needs corrected. They walk out into the world with imperfections like plastered all over their face, right? They got dried up spaghetti sauce on the corners of their lips. That happens to me all the time. There's sin that remains in their life, but they are characterized by forgetfulness. They've just forgotten what needs addressed. But then James goes on and says that we should be like the second type of listener that's described in verse 25. We should be the second type of listener who looks into God's law, which he describes as the law of liberty and perseveres. Being no hearer who is characterized by forgetfulness, but a hearer who is characterized by action. So when we think about uh, people who hear God's word and respond in obedience, you can think of a number of like biblical examples. You can think of Abraham who responded immediately to God's call to sacrifice his son even without knowing the full picture of what God was doing, or you even think of like the first disciples of Jesus who were just minding their own business, fishing, doing their work, and Jesus says, follow me, and they're like, okay, I'm leaving everything, and I'm following Jesus. Like there there are examples all throughout the Bible. When I think of a hearer who does what God says, I think of one of my mentors. His name is Byron, and Byron was a pastor for a number of years, uh, a long time ago. He's in his late 70s now. And he eventually resigned as a pastor and worked as a a gas station attendant, which he tells me he actually filled up people's gas for them, which is crazy. And during his time as a gas station attendant, he felt that the Lord was stirring in his heart a burden for the gospel to be known all over the world. And uh, people and pastors in his church were telling him that he should consider overseas missions work. And keep in mind that Byron at this point was in his late 40s, He had kids in high school and in college, but he felt that despite his circumstances, he needed to obey how the Lord was speaking to him, and he found joy in serving God in Russia and Ukraine for almost two decades as a missionary. Now, this is not like some superhero Christian. Like, I get together with this guy, like, almost weekly, but he would be the first to admit that he's not a superhero, but he's just an average Christian who heard God's word and responded in obedience and joy. So, Lest you think you're off the hook by this like extreme example, you're like, I would never do that. Keep in mind that the same rule applies for us Christians who look into God's word or hear from God's word and feel compelled to do something as a result of it. We feel convicted in some way. And it it might, and it probably won't look like moving overseas, but it might mean that when Jesus says, don't be angry, you seek reconciliation with a friend. When it says, Uh, that you should not lust after someone in your heart, that you remove physical and technological temptation from your reach. It might mean that when Jesus says not to return evil for evil, that you bear the reproach of Christ and you bite your tongue in the process because you do not hold on too tightly to the fame of your reputation. It means that when Jesus says to forgive others, that you work on acknowledging the sin that they did to you, but you choose to think goodwill toward them. So you think overseas mission work is difficult. Like, we know that those things are hard too. But God is calling us to do these things because being a hearer who does is going to require action. But it will lead to a life free of deception and full of joy and flourishing because we will be living for what is best, despite what our own nature might tell us what is best. So maybe now at this point, you're saying to yourself, 
wow, Greg really screwed up by bringing this jabroni in here, talking this message of legalism and rule following. And, uh, you know, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And I just want to tell you, like, and assure you that that is absolutely true. That if you have ever felt that your attempts to justify yourself before God by just being a nice person and just, like, doing good things throughout the week is enough to, to save you, you're never going to find that salvation or that satisfaction, mind you. God saves us from his wrath through the work of sacrificial love seen on the cross of Christ. That's it. Like, that is where we are cleansed of our sin. But there's a big part of the gospel where Jesus doesn't stay dead, right? Like, he raises from the grave, and he, as Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, because Jesus raised from the dead, like, we too are supposed to do things now as a result. Like, if I saw you guys did baptisms. I don't know if Greg said this, but oftentimes when we, we baptize in our church, we say that people are buried in the likeness of Christ's death, and they are raised to walk in newness of life, putting to death the deeds of our former lives, and now instead doing the word of God, responding to the gospel. So Pastor Greg will get to speak more on the relationship between faith and works when he preaches on James 2, so uh, save your hard questions for him. Uh, but I'll say this for now. Because James says it very clearly here, and, and sometimes it's good just to have unqualified commands from Scripture. James says, don't just listen to the gospel from a safe distance. Actually do what it says and requires. Don't be hearers who forget. And maybe if James isn't compelling you, listen to the words of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, whoever hears my words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But... Whoever hears my words and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The even better news with all of this is that, that the obedience that the gospel demands is not an invitation to like accept this really heavy, sorrowful, sad burden where we don't have any fun in this life and we're, we're led into heartache. But the gospel is actually an invitation to put on the yoke of Jesus which he describes as easy and light. That to be led by him and his law and his view of the good life is what is actually best for us. The law of Jesus is not a manual that like binds us and constricts us to this sorrowful, sad, unhappy servitude to an unloving master, but it's actually a law, as James says in verse 25, a law of liberty, which is the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 5 that says that for freedom, Christ has set us free. It's a law of freedom. The life that we are being called to live is under a law that brings true flourishing. But oftentimes when we think of law, we think of regulations, restrictions, and speed limits, right? But the way to overcome this temptation, to view God's law for the Christian as a hindrance to true joy is to remind ourselves daily of God's great love and his great care for us, for you. That he knows your frame, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your capacity to follow and obey his word, and he gives his spirit to help you. He still chooses to make himself known to you. He makes his ways known to you in order to lead you out of your bondage to sin and into glorious life, freed from the anxiety, shame, and despair that you once lived in. So when we hear from God, and we do what he says out of hearts of gratitude, we will see 
that this is the true way to avoid deceit and find flourishing. Or to maybe restate the main idea, to avoid deceit and find flourishing, we do this through hearing and doing God's word. Let me pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.